the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. The events written about in the book were eyewitness accounts that Luke took the time to research for himself and write down. We have seen that Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born to a poor carpenter family in the city of Nazareth. He grew up and lived a normal life, doing woodwork till the age of 30, when he started his ministry telling people to repent of their sins. Jesus performed many miracles, healing the sick, the blind, the paralyzed, even casting out demons that had gone into people. The scribes and Pharisees were outraged when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and when he gave forgiveness of a man's sins, proclaiming he is God in the flesh. He then called a tax collector to follow him. This tax collector's name was Levi. We know him as Matthew. Jesus and his disciples joined Matthew and other tax collectors and sinners for a party, making the religious leaders furious. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 5, verse 31. Verse 31, it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, why were they really upset with Jesus? Well, see, they were upset with Jesus because he wasn't getting on board with their plan. See, the Messiah is supposed to be on their side. Get rid of the Romans. Get rid of all the sinners so we can implement God's kingdom. That was their thought. That was their plan. Everybody be like us, right? Everybody be a Pharisee. But see, Jesus, that wasn't his plan. And what happens when I become self-righteous like them is I begin to forget what God says and I replace it with my own ideals. And I grow stubborn to the work God's trying to do in my life to change me. That's the exact opposite of the message that Jesus brought. Jesus came and said, very simple message, repent, change, for the kingdom is closed. Salvation's right in front of you. God is offering it to you. Repent. Remember when he came to Nazareth and and he, he pulled the scroll open and he found the place in Isaiah where 61, where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the, to the humble and to bind up the brokenhearted. Let me get it, get it all here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God wants to accept you. He wants to save you. He's here if you'll just repent, if you'll just give your heart to him and turn around and let him change you. That was Jesus' message from the very beginning. But these guys are so hard-headed, and Jesus, he's teaching this, and they're like, oh, he's talking about them. He's talking about everybody else, not me. We're the righteous ones. We're good. And so they were upset. They're like, why is he giving us a hard time? We're the good guys. 
And why is he hanging out with a bunch of sinners? They're the bad guys. And so Jesus said, you're missing the point. They that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick do. So I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus isn't saying the righteous. Remember, they're the righteous ones, the separated ones. He's not saying, I didn't come to invite you. That's not what he's saying. He's trying to make a point. It's not that Jesus only wants to help certain people. It's that there are no righteous people. (laughs) There are no righteous people. And so as long as I think I'm righteous, I'll stubbornly refuse to repent. And that's where they were at. He's like, do you know why we're here at this party? Here's where the people who want to repent are. (laughs) Here's the people who know they need God. Here's the people who know that things aren't okay and they need to be changed. That's why I'm here. My message is repent for the kingdom is close and they're repentant. Why am I not at your parties? You don't care about changing. You think you've already arrived. I'm here because this is where the repentance is. This is where the repentance was taking place. Now, when God isn't getting on board with your plans, because that was their beef, when God's not getting on board with your plans, you have a choice. You can remain proud, or you can take a serious look at yourself. Right? That's what they needed to do. Take a serious look at themselves, but they refused. Unfortunately, they refused to look at themselves, and they decided to pick another fight with Jesus. So they got, oh, well, we got your attention, buddy. So we've got another problem here. And they said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Now, it's not that Jesus never prayed. The phrase make prayers is the idea of doing something publicly. The Pharisees, where their prayers would be very elaborate. They would go into the marketplace at the hour of prayer. They'd blow a trumpet so everyone would be quiet. And then they would say their long, elaborate prayer. Jesus didn't do that. Neither did his disciples. Now, Jesus, it's not that he didn't fast. Jesus fasted longer than anybody ever has. But the point here is they weren't fasting right now because that's their point. But yours eat and drink. You're partying right now. You're having a celebration. Why aren't you fasting right now like the Pharisees are? You see us eating any of this food? No, I haven't touched a single apple. A couple of things before we examine their question. Number one, why are they having this celebration? This is a celebration for a sinner who's repented. God has given Matthew a new life, spreading the news of salvation to others who will repent. And the Pharisees miss all that. Like Jesus says, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Well, one just did, and they can't see it. They have no eyes for that right now. Number two, Matthew invited all these other sinners here so they could meet the man who changed his life. He's hoping maybe Jesus could change their life too. And if the Pharisees cared an ounce about people, about right, about wrong, about what God wanted, then why would they interrupt that great work for this stupid question? Why would they interrupt the work that God's trying to do and all these people and rescuing them too for this? We'll have a time here where God just pours out his spirit. There's always one. It's always one. You know, Pastor, I just really didn't like how the worship team did that song today. And I'm just thinking to myself, can I just take your head and swivel it around so you can see all the people right here who are weeping before the Lord and how he's changing their lives? Could you just... Take a look at that for one minute. One minute. 
My favorite is this one. God will just pour out his spirit, do a great work, and, you know, someone will come up and, you know, I, I just really don't understand. You know, why, why do you guys pass out new King James Bibles here? And I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, I have to love this person. And I have to be nice. What I'm really thinking is, you know, you're missing the point. It's not that we can't have that conversation, but the fact you're having it with me right at this moment shows you've missed the point. And more than likely, you're probably one of the people who needs to be up here. But your heart's so hard. You just, you want everybody else to get on board with your plans. You can't even see the plan that God is enacting right in front of you. Now, this is why Jesus later will accuse them of being blind guides. Look at Matthew 23. We're just gonna look at verses 13 and 15. The whole chapter is kind of Jesus' scathing rebuke of these guys. I'm sorry, Matthew 23, verses 13, and then verse 15. Jesus says to him, in verse 13 of Matthew 23, he says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up, you lock up the kingdom of heaven against men. You keep people from going to heaven. For you neither go in yourselves, neither do you allow those that are entering in to go in. You, you won't go in, but that, that's not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is when others are going in, you stop them. He explains how they do that in verse 15. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you compass sea land, you travel all around to make one proselyte, one convert, one follower of your way of life, to make another Pharisee. And when he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You go and find people who need the Lord. And after they become more like you, they're twice as worse off than they were before. You yourselves won't go to heaven and you keep other people from going. Wow. They can't help anybody. They're in no condition to help anybody because they can't even recognize the awesomeness of someone who's been helped or the awesome opportunity to help even more people that's right in front of them at this party. Now, their question we can get to now, why do the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, why do they often fast and make prayers? And Oh, and we do too. But yours eat and drink. See, the Pharisees figured they could kind of split the crowd with this argument because even though the Pharisees weren't big fans of John the Baptist, most of Jesus' disciples originally followed John. They were very loyal to John. And so they, would, they were hoping to kind of split the crowd against Jesus with this. And at this point, if I were Jesus, I'd have lost it. I'd have been like, do you think we're here just to eat and party? You know, do you think we're, we don't pray because we don't announce it with trumpets in the marketplace? Get a grip. Look around you guys. We're here because a life was changed and to hopefully change more lives. Thankfully, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't do that. He just answers them and then he gives them a warning. He says to them, can you make the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? Children of the bridegroom refers to the wedding party. Can you, could you force the wedding party to not eat you know, while the bridegroom's still there? No, of course not. They're going to celebrate. No one's going to be glum. No one's going to be fasting. No one's going to be hiding themselves in a the closet to pray. Everyone's celebrating because something awesome has happened. A wedding's occurred. Jesus, in this situation. He is rescuing lives from darkness. He is breaking the chains of sin. And everyone in Matthew's home has experienced that. Or 
is curious about how they can experience it. So the mood is joyous, it's hopeful. No one's gonna be glum, no one's fasting. But Jesus says it won't always be that way. He says, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away, referring to himself from them. And then they shall fast in those days. And do you know we're living in those days now? We don't see Jesus. I've never seen him. The mood isn't always joyful. It's not always hopeful. So we fast in order that we might get our, our, our hearts won't be ruled by our fears. Our, hold, our hold, hearts won't be ruled by our flesh or our glum emotions. We pray to get our hearts in tune with the Lord's heart to be changed while we wait for Jesus's return, right? Well, that's what this discussion is really all about. See, in the midst of celebrating a changed life and the potential for more changed lives, there stands a group of people, these Pharisees and scribes, a group of people who refuse to let God change them. That's what this discussion is really about. So Jesus addresses that problem now. The problem isn't a lack of fasting or prayer on his disciples' part. It's a lack of submission to God on the Pharisees' part. And Jesus uses three illustrations, three examples to drive home his warning. The first one he gives here in verse 36. It says, and he spoke also a parable unto them. He said, no man puts a piece of a new garment unto an old. If otherwise, then both the new makes a tear, and the piece that was taken out of the new doesn't match or agree with the, the old one. The first example is, if you're going to fix you know, an old garment, an older dress or outfit, you're not going to go take something from a brand new outfit to fix it. You're going to take another old, right? another old thing, an old, something that you wouldn't mind destroying. You wouldn't want to destroy something new to fix something old. And because then the, the process, if you do that, then not only do you have, you know, you've got a, a new thing you can't use anymore, but then you've got an old thing that doesn't match. Because the reason is, is it would, you know, when you, the word new means unbleached. So the idea is, you know, you take this thing that hasn't been washed and bleached and you put it on something that has been and it doesn't stretch anymore. Well, now it's going to, it's just going to ruin that thing too. Second illustration he gives here is the one of the new wine and old wine bottles. He says, and no man puts new wine into old bottles, else the wine will burst the bottles and be spilled out and the bottles shall perish. Uh, new wine refers to grape juice, wine that has not experienced the fermentation process yet. He says, you don't put grape juice into an old bottle. The bottle refers to a leather bag. What they would do is they'd put the grape juice in a new leather bag. And as you know, leather, it stretches, it expands. It conforms to the shape of what's stretching it. But if you had a bottle that's already expanded from the gases of the fermentation process, it's not going to reform and take a new shape again. It's not going to stretch anymore. So if you put grape juice that hasn't fermented into an already stretched bottle, it's going to burst, it's going to break, and then you lose the bottle and the wine. So again, the same illustration, you know, you lose both, two things you lose out on. Instead, what they did was, is, but new wine must be put into new bottles, and then both are preserved. The third example, he says this, no man also having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. In other words, and I, I grant I don't know this from experience, I don't drink alcohol, but I have heard that the older the vintage, the older the wine, the longer it's been you know, around, the better it tastes. And so that's what Jesus is referring to here. If you had some of that, say, you know, I had 1845, whatever, and you go, man, that's some good stuff. That's been sitting around for a long time. That has, has a good taste to it. And then right afterwards, you're not thinking, oh, you know what I could really go for right now? Some grape juice. Probably not. And so what Jesus is explaining here is no one would think that way. They would want more of the good stuff. So what's the point? Well, parables are designed to communicate 
a point that would normally be ignored if you just straight out made it. Like if I just came to you and said, you stink, you need to do better, you might ignore me, all right? On the other hand, if I told a story that said the same thing, but maybe in a nicer way, you might listen to me for a while and go, okay, I get his point. He's trying to be nice about it. That's what a parable is. So anytime you see a parable, the goal is to find, to interpret is to find out what the point is that Jesus is trying to make. So what is in common in all three of these examples? Well, Jesus is explaining what reasonable people do. It would take a very inflexible, self-important person to go against the flow of these three examples. A very self-important, stubborn, inflexible person to go, no, I'm going to put that, that old, uh, uh, new wine in the old, old wineskins. No, I'm, I'm going I'm to ruin my old, old outfit and ruin the new one. I mean, it would be a really stubborn person to do something like that. It's like, what do they say? You, you cut off your nose to spite your face or something like that? It's kind of a similar idea. I don't do illustrations really good. I usually mess them up. So I think I got that one right today. I'll go home and Bev will be like, what did you say today? And I'll say, well, yeah, it's like the, you know, it's like the, the shoe calling the kettle black. And she's like, that's not how it goes. Not, not at all, you know. In all three of these examples, you would have to be stubborn and inflexible to do these things. You know, that, yet that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing by persisting in their inflexibility toward what the Lord is trying to teach them. And if they do that, they're going to lose everything. They'll have nothing at the end. They'll lose their own souls and they'll bring ruin upon their nation. And isn't that exactly what they did when they crucified Jesus? It says that when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it's in Luke 19, you can read it later because we're running out of time. But when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it says the Pharisees came to him and said, you know, and everybody's proclaiming him to be this Messiah. It says the Pharisees came to him and said, uh, hey buddy, you need to tell your disciples to quit it. You're not the Messiah. You need to quit this ruse. And Jesus said, if I told them to be quiet, the very rocks would cry out. This is the day the Lord has made. This is the day I'm to be proclaimed as Messiah. It's who I am. I'm not going to deny it. And so as Jesus got closer to the city, he wept over it. And he said, because you didn't recognize the day of your visitation, someday in the future, they're going to surround this city and they're going to kill you, kill your kids, tear down your city and level it to the ground. And he wept because they refused to repent. Jesus is already in the beginning warning them of this, their inflexibility, their stubborn hearts. The new wine and old wineskins example, we usually use it in the church to refer to how the church can become stale or we personally can become stale and old ideas aren't working anymore and we need a new fresh move of God's spirit. While that can happen, that's not Jesus' point here. Jesus' point is to warn spiritual and religious people to not become inflexible to the work God's trying to do in us, lest we lose everything. That's what Jesus' point is. That God is consistently seeking to change us to make us more like him. And at the moment I think I've arrived and I stop letting God shape me, I stop humbling myself, I stop asking him to teach me, I stop confessing my sin to him, is when I begin heading down that road. Now, most of us would never say, well, I've arrived, Pastor Will. I mean, most of us wouldn't say something like that. Hopefully we're humble enough to not say something like that. That's not the danger. The real danger is when we think we've arrived in one or two areas of our lives. That's the real danger. 
And it could be any area. It could be our finances, how we do our finances. It could be how we do marriage. It could be how we do parenting. It could be, you know, how, what our work ethic looks like. It could be about being a good neighbor. It could be about serving the Lord. It could be about our ideas about church. It could be about any of these things. If we begin to think, no, no, I already know that. I, I already got that. I, I don't need help with that. That's the moment we begin moving in the wrong direction. The moment I stop asking God, how can I grow more in this area, is the moment I stop growing in that area. And if I'm not growing, I'm going backwards, even if it's at a very slow rate. Now, as I read this this week, man, it challenged me. Because I had to examine a few areas in my life that I hadn't examined in a while. And maybe the Lord wanted to do the same with you this morning. You know, maybe there's some areas that you might think, you know, I think I do that good, or I think I've got that together. Maybe the Lord would say, well, I want to talk to you about that, actually. There's some parts of that area I want you to grow still. Will you listen to me? So I ask you, as we're going to head into this time of the Lord's Supper, are you willing to let God correct you or teach you, not just in the obvious areas you know you need help in, but also in the areas you think you're doing well right now? Or does my very suggestion of that make you rise up inside? If it does, it's probably a good indicator, something to work on. Well, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul, as he's teaching them about communion, he tells them, but let a man examine himself during this time. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And listen, if you don't know the Lord today, you need to examine yourself because you need to get right with the Lord. No one gets to heaven by being good. Jesus told the the people, he said, unless your righteousness is better than the the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't go to heaven. Well, there's nobody better than the scribes and the Pharisees. Nobody more righteous. Nobody more separated from sin. But what was Jesus' point again? Nobody gets to heaven by being righteous. We get to heaven by our faith in the finished work of Christ. And if you've never done that before, this is a time to examine yourself. Now, all of us, as we're about to take communion and the ushers are going to grab it and begin to pass it out. This is a time to examine himself. There's no better time than the Lord's Supper to say, Lord, search me. Search even the areas I think I'm doing okay in and put your finger on whatever you want to put your finger on in my life right now. now. There's a song that's been ministering to me a lot lately. I've been singing it, making it my prayer. It's called Touch of Heaven. And the lyrics go like this. It says, how I live for the moments where I'm still in your presence. All the noise dies down. Lord, speak to me now. You have all my attention. I will linger and listen. I can't miss a thing. Lord, my heart wants more of you. My heart wants something new. So I surrender all. That something new isn't some unheard work of God's spirit. (laughs) It's God breathing new life into old truths that never change because I want to be more like him. That's what it's about. I want you to do a new work in my life today, Lord. Taking those old truths, driving them home in a fresh way that I'm more like you. The chorus goes on to say, all I want is to live within your love, to be undone by who you are, to leave Levi behind and become Matthew, right? To be undone by who you are. My desire is to know you deeper. I am desperate for a touch of heaven. And so we're gonna have a couple come up. They're gonna share this song as the communion elements are passed out. And as they do, would you just make that song your prayer? I mean, you could sing with them. Please do if you know it. But would you make that song your prayer and ask the Lord to have his way? Lord, we commit that to you right now to do just that. 
We ask for a touch from heaven, Lord, that you would put your finger on whatever you want, that you would have your way in us. Lord, that we would not be too proud to resist whatever it is you want to do, not to think we've arrived in any area, but if you want to speak to us, Lord, about our marriage, you want to speak to us about our, our attitude, you want to speak to us about our service, you want to speak to us about our work environment, whatever it is you want us to do, Lord, speak to us, change us. We commit right now to be those who are yielded to, do, to you. Examine us as we examine ourselves, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hearts can grow stubborn and dull to God's word and calling in our lives. God says we can have an intimate and abiding relationship with Him if we continually seek Him in our everyday lives. This can seem quite paradoxical. To know someone thoroughly and yet continue to learn and grow in the knowledge of them. As a husband getting to know his wife afresh and anew every day, or lifelong friends learning something new about each other, we will never exhaust all the things we can learn about God. There is no limit to the intimacy and closeness we can have with our great King who calls us to humble ourselves and draw near to Him. The only thing that stands in the way is our pride. We need to be broken at the foot of the cross every day, knowing we don't have all the answers. Only Jesus does. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.